90.1 Hope FM. Well, my focus today is on the Christian Police Association. And uh, my next guest is the Crime Scene Investigation Team Leader, Paul Barnett. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Blair. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Now, like uh, we were talking to Carmel there, I began really with the, with the faith journey. Uh, Carmel sort of shared that she had come from a, a, a background that wasn't particularly Christian. Of course, your experience was something different, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yeah. I'm uh, one of five children, and uh, my parents were committed Christians. So my earliest memories were not only of um, contending with four other siblings, but also being brought up in a household whose life very much revolved around a local church here in Parkstone in Paul. And um, as was the custom, I attended church on Sundays, but it probably wasn't until I was 11 or 12 that I, I really understood that this God loved me and called me to respond to him and um so yeah surrounded by excellent example in terms of parenting and love and uh, witnessing uh, many good sermons and sunday services but it took a few years for me actually to kind of make sense of this and i need to respond to this god who loved me and I suppose that's, that's particularly important. In fact, in some ways, it might be a little bit more difficult where we're brought up in a Christian home because obviously we, we will, to a certain degree, take on the values of our parents. But there does come that point in time, that crunch time, where we have to decide, well, is, is this faith thing something for me or something even that I want to press into? That's true. I was encouraged as a youngster to join a local um, uniform Christian movement called the Campaigners. And uh, around the age of 10, 11, I remember going to a camp on the Isle of Wight. And part of that camping experience was to be present during a daily devotional. And an elderly gentleman there, I just remember, clearly unpacked what for me was an invitation to ask Christ to forgive my sins and to come into my life. And I remember afterwards responding and going to this leader's tent with some other children, keen to know more and to have him pray for me so that i think was kind of the first awakening and then as children often do i wanted to be sure so within a year i was at our local church and a, a chap gave a gospel centered sermon and literally invited people to come to the front so i put my hand up and rushed to the front and again that was another time where i just thought if you like i want to be sure that um, christ is in my life and that um uh, that was the right decision. I look back on that as a pivotal time as a young man when I knew that Christ loved me and I'd given myself to him. Now, when you when you left school, I mean, today, of course, you, you're, you, you're clearly, is it 40 years in, in the police service? So have you exceeded right. your have you exceeded your service time like, like Carmel has? I don't know. what What's the norm? Yeah, you're, 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 there's, a, there's a span of time, isn't there, that officers uh, have to serve uh, and then before you can retire, but it's, uh, I'm not quite sure what that time span is. Yeah, um, normally for a serving police officer, it would normally be put around 30 years or maybe when the age of, age of 55, that's what it used to be. I work as a member of police staff, so our contracts are slightly different, so... My life expectancy is slightly longer than that of an officer for one reason. So 
potentially I could go up to the national retirement age if they'd have me and if I had the energy to <laughs> serve that long. Well, you're obviously still there, still still enjoying it and still being challenged by it and, of course, leading a team. But we'll get to that a wee bit, a wee bit later. When you left school, of course, you didn't go straight into the police service because you had a passion for something else, didn't you? I did, yeah, photography. Um, hard to know where this came from, really, but... I remember buying my first camera under the age of 10. And that really continued through into my teens and the passion grew to the point where when I left school, I wanted to do something photographic. So I was, having left school, applying to art colleges to study photography. I worked in a camera shop and then I landed the job in the police service as a photographic technician. That was just all about photography in my early years definitely so even though you didn't follow that career path are you still a keen photographer that's right mm. yes i am over the years um, photograph weddings actually as a little sideline so there you are you joined the police force i guess like like carmel uh, you had to go through uh, selection and then of course having got through uh, then all sorts of training how, how was that for you yeah um so in his early years as I said, I was very keen on photography and the post I first took up when I joined was one of photographic technician. So the training uh, was a two-year um, course that I took in Salisbury, funded by the police, which was very good. And then subsequent to that, things more in sort of the crime scene investigation line, which has involved courses up in Durham, where originally we had a national training centre for forensic uh, work. So repeated trips up there in various courses all to do with crime scene management, investigation and coordination, dealing with some of the nitty grits of recovering forensic evidence. Well, was the actual selection process before the training, you know, getting in in the first place, was, was that, was that a, a difficult process and was it a harrowing interview? What, what did you have to go through to get in? at the first base? Um, well, going way, way back to 1979, so it's very much life on Mars in terms of the police <laughs> service that I, I joined. And literally, um, I was working at a local camera shop, hoping to bide my time until I could actually be accepted to college and study photography when I saw an advert by Dorset Police for a photo technician. So I prayed about it, and the day that I had off from working in the shop was a Wednesday, and that was the day that I was given an interview. So I went to Bournemouth Police Station, and I was one of five interviewees, and um, I remember sitting in front of a panel of rather sort of gruff, older guys who asked me questions about photography, and did I mind the sight of blood? And I said, <laughs> no, I don't believe I... I was only 17 at the time, and probably the worst I'd seen was a cut finger or maybe a splinter. But um, I managed to pass. I had a letter come the following week saying, you've been successful, so I was just over the moon, really. Um, so, yeah, December the 3rd, 1979, nearly 41 years ago, I began working at the old Bournemouth Nick that they've recently demolished, of course. Gosh, it doesn't doesn't time pass quickly, you know. So, when you completed your training, then was it on the beat for you? No, um, as I said earlier, I'm a member of police staff, so my contract is slightly different to Carmel's. I don't have the power of arrest, and I don't have the power 
to conduct an intimate search, not that I'd ever want to. But um, and my line was drawn pretty much as initially working in the police station, supporting what were then called SOCO, Scenes of Crime Officers. So I was working with a team of seasoned, older male detective constables. Um, and that was an eye-opener in itself because they were often rushing out of the station in their white vans to crime scenes, bringing back their films, old black and white roles, which I would then develop, process and print ready for court. But part of my duties was also to go down to the custody block and to fingerprint and to photograph the detainees that had been brought in overnight, which way back then was the standard. So I'd have my ink pad and my camera and I'd meet all those arrested, and this went on probably for a good nine or ten years, every working day I'd be down there dealing with people they'd arrested. And there were quite an array of individuals that came in, both in terms of the crimes that they were alleged to have committed, but also uh, where they were in life. Some were managing directors, some were housewives, some were even schoolmates that I knew from school. <laughs> so that's so that, Bit a real eye-opener. <laughs> so I guess you must have had a, a fairly broad knowledge of, of the criminal scene, whether that be hard criminals or maybe those who inadvertently had got themselves into trouble in some ways. But you, nevertheless, your your knowledge of that would have been extensive. Yeah, um, I think in those early years, I, I was keen to, to learn. So, yeah, I was exposed to a lot I guess, what was an early age. One of my big eye-openers, I think, was I was determined as a Christian. I got baptised at 17 around the time when I took up this job because I knew I just wanted to live for Jesus, whatever that looked like. And I knew that in custody suites they had copies of the Gideon Bible. And on the back of that, I just thought maybe I could also talk to these people who'd been detained about Jesus as well. So... Um, I used to have a drawer with fingerprint forms in, and whenever I saw them, I'd take the fingerprints. But I also had another drawer with Christian tracts in. And as I felt so moved, that was probably the best way to describe it, um, I would talk to these people about their need for God, about forgiveness, and I would pass them a little tract to read. And then wonderfully, over those years, I got to hear stories of how God used that literature to literally turn people's lives around in the station. Um, well, it's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing on two counts. One, that you were allowed to do it, uh, and two, of course, the, the fruit from it. So so nobody objected to you giving out the little the little tracks? Well, there is a bit of a caveat there. I, on one occasion, um, I was hauled up before the seniors in the station, um, and they wanted to know, was it my habit of giving Christian literature to uh, detainees, I said, occasionally I do that. I do think it's an appropriate thing. And it turned out on this occasion that, and I'm going way back now, so I don't think there's a problem in mentioning that this particular person had been arrested for an armed robbery together with some colleagues. He was um, kind of the co-accused. And turned out when he got to court that his colleagues had pleaded not guilty, but he pleaded guilty contrary to his solicitor's advice, claiming that he'd met God in the cells and he'd come to faith. So there was an objection, and I had to kind of go before chief officers and explain myself. Being in my early 20s, then I, I kind of thought, you're talking to the wrong person here. I think it's God that's got through to him. And if it hadn't been the Gideon Bible, 
and it probably might have been the track that I gave him. So um, I did have to tread a, a careful line, absolutely, and respect these individuals. But at the same time, I was keen to live for God. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. And my very special guest today is Paul Barnett, who's the Crime Scene Investigation Unit uh, uh, team leader. And, and that's team leader in, in what area, Paul? Is that sort of uh, very local or is it covering the region? Yeah, um, so team leader in the sense that I have a number of excellent CSIs that um, I have the privilege of managing. I work currently out of Paul Police Station. Um, I have a similar colleague who has a group of CSIs at Weymouth, but Dorset now, as far as forensic and CSI work, comes under the Southwest Forensic Collaboration banner. So uh, I'm one of several team leaders um, that look after probably 120 CSIs across Devon and Cornwall, Dorset, Wiltshire, Avon and Somerset. So extensive responsibilities. Now, we left you uh, where you were, you were giving out those tracks, but what I didn't really ask you was that some of the fruit of that. Of course, you were challenged, and I think you give a satisfactory answer. Um, but, but it, of course, the more important thing is is the difference that handing out those little tracks made. Can, can you recall one or two bits of feedback that you've had? Yes, I, I, I can. I mean, I, I want to stress I did offer the literature. I wasn't into proselytising. Um, but, um, yeah, you weren't forcing yeah, so it upon them, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think a couple of other stories probably stick in my memory. I remember there was a big evangelistic event, I think, at the BIC many years ago. And I attended along with lots of other people from churches in the, the conurbation. And someone there said that, um, Paul, there's a guy out the front who wants to meet with you after the meeting in the foyer. So I said, oh, okay, that's rather strange. Um, any idea who he is? And so I never met him, but he was asking after you by name. I said, well, what does he look like? And he said, oh, well, he's kind of a six foot two, probably about 18 stone with a big beard and looks like a biker. I thought, oh, oh my goodness, really? Do I want to meet this sort of guy? Anyway, at the end of the meeting, I went down to the foyer, and sure enough, there was the guy I described with a couple of friends with him. And I sort of tentatively walked up and said, uh, my name's Paul, is, is it me that you're asking after? And with that, he stepped forward and gave me a great big hug. And uh, I thought, what on earth is this about? And then he explained very briefly that I had spoken to a friend of his who'd been arrested at Bournemouth Police Station, and through a conversation, and um, long story short, he had decided to give his life to Christ, and his life was so dramatically changed that this person had also been impacted and had discovered a new life in Jesus, and he somehow wanted to trace it back to its roots, and um, so he sought me out to, to thank me for the way that I'd um, started the ball rolling. So. That was kind of all of God, really. I just, I, I, I was just very much used by God. Another case I remember was a, all I can remember really is a, a, a window cleaner. A window cleaner who was a believer had a person 
a friend of his come to faith in strange circumstances, and he similarly wanted to know how he'd come to faith because he now wants to be baptized. So when he spoke to this young man, he gave a story that seemed to start at Bournemouth Police Station again and being impacted by God's blood for him and the ripple effect had been um, yeah, him giving himself to Christ and now wanting to be baptized. So I just, you know, thank God for those opportunities and for the way God clearly was at work by mm. his spirit. But isn't isn't God isn't God good the way the way that He encourages us? Because those those two examples that you give, they must have come as a real a real boost to to your faith and encouragement to you. Absolutely, yeah. I think you know all of us, wherever we are working, whatever our lot is, are kind of just called to be faithful witnesses to God. And I just thought, you know, in a way, my life is no different to anyone else's so the people that i worked with the people that i bumped into in bournemouth custody i just saw as those whom god loved and if i could in any way express or explain god's love to them as the opportunity arose i, I would do so so i didn't see myself in a particularly unusual job and um, looking back i'd hope there'd be lots of people with stories like mine that were just called to be faithful in serving him in whatever way we can, in whatever area of life we, uh, we are, are at the time. Now, of course, going back to crime scene investigation, I guess that now the technology that can be used, the forensic uh, ability and so on, must be very different from when you first started in the police force. Yes, it absolutely has been. Um, and I do remember being way back at the, the beginning uh, markedly different from how it is now i think two or three of the big advances were clearly dna profiling when i started we were still using blood grouping the old abo system and then um 95 we introduced um, a dna profiling and a national dna database and that enabled us not only to be a lot more accurate in understanding and attributing crime scene stains to individuals but also um, revisiting old cases and re-examining old crime scene stains with current technology. So that's probably been the biggest leap. There have also been advances in fingerprint examination techniques. So number one, particular one, super glue being introduced that sort of supplemented the old powders that we still do use. And then the other large leap forward is obviously the whole digitization, digital photography and CCTV. Mm. And long enough and old enough to remember those things coming in. <laughs> I mean, many of us, of course, watch those police dramas on the television. I guess it's a long way from Poirot, but but actually, in some of the more modern <laughs> police series, does a lot of that stuff on the on what we see on our televisions does does it match up with reality? Um, we don't tend to solve murders in an hour with ad breaks, so there's that big difference. <laughs> well, that would be one big difference, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> It would. And then there's the American and the English thing. I think um, certainly there's a prevalence of kind of forensic-based program detective series on, on British TV. And I've got to say, by and large, from my perspective, I think, you know, the techniques they use are fairly accurate. Um, but uh, they always seem to have lots of success. Ours uh, aren't always as successful as theirs, but um, mm -hmm. there we go. So I, 
I'm not a great fan of them, I must say. Just ask my wife about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a wee bit more about the job. I, I, can you remember you, your first time um, engaged in a crime scene where, where, where it was traumatic for you? you that, you know, and how did, how did you deal with that? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, certainly over the years, I've, I've dealt with many crime scenes and some of those have been harrowing, as you say, involving deceased persons and consequent um, post-mortem examinations. Um, there are some that do stick in your mind, and I guess the, the first, and we are going a long way back, was a very unfortunate um, case where an elderly couple um, both died together. Um, he had killed his wife and then had literally phoned the police to say that he wanted to take his own life, which he then did prior to police arriving. And I remember that purely because of the post-mortem, which obviously won't go into details, but it does stick in my mind. It was kind of surreal. I was probably only in my late teens or early 20s and went in as an as a, uh, observer. So, yeah, um, that and also working in Bournemouth custody, you did meet some very interesting individuals down there as well and saying it was a very sort of steep learning curve in those early years now today you're very much involved of course in, in in training and i guess that involves preparing other officers for what they're likely to experience at a crime scene uh, is, is it is it a difficult challenge to to prepare officers for what may come yeah i think it is yes um I mean, there's two strands to that. One is I, I spent a number of years training, uh, serving police officers and also those who were new recruits. The new recruits was really the nuts and bolts of literally not putting your foot in it, um, identifying evidence of burglaries and robberies and rapes and dealing with that and the work that CSI could support them in. And then there was the flip side of training my own colleagues as CSIs to um, help gather the evidence, and I'm still doing that to a large degree today. But, um, yeah, the training is vitally important, and preparing officers, I often find that there's only so much you can teach a person in a classroom, despite showing them videos and pictures. And it's quite useful. I get the opportunity to meet uh, new recruits maybe 10 or so months into their service, and that's a very interesting session because most of them by then have witnessed firsthand um, the crime types that give rise to the forensic evidence I mentioned at the beginning. So, um, yeah, there's nothing to replace actually being out and about and going to crime scenes and dealing with victims mm -hmm. to actually help you understand what's at play. I suppose also that, that you're saying, along with your colleagues, that the, the best of light, but also the, the, the dark places, the, 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 the terrible things that some people have to go through, not, of course, those who are immediately impacted by whatever uh, crime is taking place, but, of course, the impact uh, on other people around. And you're seeing, you're seeing the ugliest side of life in some cases. And I guess also maybe you're also seeing uh, the, the, the best in 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 human spirit would, would that be true to say paul it is yeah i, I think you're right um as carmel hinted i think a lot of the people that we have cause to meet are um, dissatisfied <laughs> maybe their home has been broken into or their 
business premises ransacked or something similar has happened. They obviously want the support of the police. So we do have to go in with uh, kind of an appropriate attitude to respect them and to go about our business and knowing that it is very difficult and very hard for them. Um, on occasion, you know, I, I really do find compassion rising. I, I just think this is just so sad what's happened to you. And I can see that, you know, personal effects have been taken from someone's home or their liberty infringed to the point where they are scared to stay at that same address. They want to sell their house or redecorate or throw away clothes. But it, it is harrowing. And just occasionally, I'm, you know, they're able to, to, to reach out and I'm able to, to chat with them perhaps a little more personally. But yeah, it is very tricky sometimes. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. And of course, my very special guest uh, today is Paul uh, Barnett, uh, who heads up uh, the Crime Scene Investigation Unit and on sort of a regional basis gives training and support to uh, other officers. Now, you mentioned, you passed over the fact that when we watch these television programmes, that, that, of course, the crimes are solved within an hour in between commercial breaks. But that's not quite reality, is it? No, it isn't, unfortunately. Um, some of the investigations are, are really protracted. I think our bread and butter as a department is going to what we term volume crime, which probably speaks for itself. We get a lot of it, and that is burglaries by and large. But increasingly, we're seeing, uh, I say a rise. Uh, don't misunderstand me there. there are, it's not a common occurrence, but certainly the more serious crimes that we're asked to deal with, the sort of robberies and rapes and suspicious deaths um, certainly have come to the fore. Overall crime in Dorset is dropping, but we have noticed increasing these types of crimes being referred to us. And some of them, I say, are quite protracted. Um, so I do recall some more serious crimes that have, uh, with our major crime team working on them for seven years. And a lot of the uh, cases that end up in Crown Courts, be it Winchester or, or Bournemouth, are ones that make local headlines and the listeners will be very familiar with um, these are those that the heart of them if they involve a death do involve a team of my csis attending and it can take them three four i've been working at a scene possibly over a week and a half before actually dealing with what may be the victim of the crime who may have met their untimely end the removal of the body and the post-mortem examination with the pathologist and then slowly processing all the evidence in the scene from gathering um, fingerprints, traces of DNA, footwear marks, maybe gunshot residue, just trying to determine exactly what went on there and possibly who the offender or offenders might be. So that does take a long time. And I've got to say our success rate for those more serious crimes is, is very, very good in Dorset. Now, obviously, you've talked a lot about how your faith has sustained you through all the many challenges that, that, you, that you face, um, Paul. Um, but for the uninitiated, I mean, uh, what, what, what do you think is the real benefit of the Christian Police Association, uh, beyond obviously the obvious, which is your fellowship and support? Yeah, I think um, 
I think just reflecting on the CPA, and I probably right from my early 20s when I was connected with them, I just found that there were others doing similar work to myself who loved Jesus too, who loved gathering together to just provide mutual support and encouragement. Um, and I think that has been the case over the years. Whenever I receive a, a mailer, I always look to see who's been copied into it because I love to know that there are other believers working for the organization and where I have opportunity when I meet them or come across them in a joint investigation, that it just creates kind of an extra connection that they also are believers. And just occasionally we're able to uh, over coffee pray together or chat and I've certainly had opportunities over the year to experience that and that's really wonderful it just kind of be, be, to be able to acknowledge in your working day that God is real and that there are others that love him and know him too so that has been a real privilege. Well, well, finally, of course, we ought to say about your family support because you've got your son Isaac is is a serving officer over in Bristol. This is a significant day for him, isn't it? And of course, it is. and you've got Elspeth who's giving you the the uh, uh, she's a clinical psychologist, so she, you've got that back back up uh, there. And of course, uh, uh, should you need it, then uh, then y- your wife is has been a long time serving. The nurse, although um, maybe not quite in the department that would serve you best. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And my wife uh, recently retired after 39 years working in the neonatal unit, looking after lots of premature babies, predominantly in poor hospital. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, she's been a, a good listener over the years. And my daughter, yeah, hopefully she can sort my head out if I ever go have a wobble. And my <laughs> son, as you say, is are currently sitting his sergeant's exam as we speak up in Bristol. He's followed in his father's footsteps in uh, all things police. For more inspirational interviews, podcasts and Hope FM best bits, visit hopefm.com forward slash listen again.